direct from Fort Me, Maryland, this is Dinfos Live. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Dinfos Live. I'm Major David J. Murphy, a Dinfos instructor and your host for today's program. Every year, the Defense Information School welcomes a few prestigious former Dinfos graduates into its revered Hall of Fame. To be accepted into the Hall of Fame, inductees must have made extraordinary and lasting contributions at the highest levels of public service, industry, the military, or academia for at least 20 years. They also need to have superior service and achievement in their field, made significant impacts and professional contributions to their field, and demonstrated outstanding leadership, character, values, and ethics. Today, we're honored to have three of those inductees with us to talk to us about their experience in and out of the military, their contributions to the PA career field, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Without further ado, let's meet the 2023 DINFOS Hall of Fame inductees. Joining us from Charleston, South Carolina is Stacy Pearsall. From Fort Belvoir, Virginia is Kathleen Rem. And finally, from Charlotte, North Carolina, Glenn Proctor. Thank you all for joining us, panelists. Now, before we hear your stories, I'd like to remind everyone tuning in that Dinfos Live is live for a reason, because we want your questions. So please, feel free to ask them in the comments below the video, and we might just read them on the air. All right, panelists, well, let's get right to it. Can you first start by telling us about yourselves and your careers? And we'll go ahead and start with uh, Glenn. Okay, thank you for having me. Um, my my Denfos career is interesting because I was a civilian journalist before I went back on active duty as a Marine and attended Denfos, uh, and then later became the editor of the base newspaper at Camp Lejeune. Uh, left there and went to work on Capitol Hill as a press secretary for. Congressman Dan Micah from Florida. Um, and from there went back into print media and worked for five different companies uh, around the country, retiring as the top editor in Richmond, Virginia. Um, and after retirement, I started a coaching and training company, which is in existence today. Wow, that's amazing. All right, how about you, Kathy? Well, I joined the Army when I was 19 in 1989. I enlisted as a private E1, and I went to the basic journalist course. I attended Infos the first time in January of 1990. I ended up serving 13 years of active duty in the Army. Some of my assignments took me, I worked with the United Nations in Macedonia. I worked with NATO in Sarajevo. And on 9-11, I happened to be stationed at American Forces Press Service with duty uh, at the Pentagon. So I ended up serving three more years, or two more years as a civilian, as a, in the military, in the Pentagon, and then got out of the Army and became a DOD civilian. So I've been a DOD civilian for over 20 years now, six of them in the Pentagon. And for the past 15 years, I've been at the Defense Logistics Agency on Fort Belvoir. That's awesome. That's great. And of course, my good old friend, Stacy, who I've known for almost 20 years. Stacy, tell us about yourself. Well, uh, thank you for having me. And 
I actually enlisted when I was 17. And uh, by the time I went to defense information school, it was a brand new school. And uh, that was in 1998. From there, I went to the strategic command in Nebraska, then the European command at Molesworth in the UK. And I applied for combat camera and got stationed in Charleston. From there, I hit the ground running, traveled all the way around the world, had a wonderful experience. Ultimately, um, you know, uh, my career ended in a way I, I did not anticipate, but I suppose we'll dive into that in a little bit. Absolutely. All right, great. Well, first tell me, panelists, what drew you to joining the military in the first place? And then what drew you to the public affairs career field? Uh, so let's go and start with you, Stacy. Well, the military was a family business. I have military that goes all the way back to the, the Revolutionary War. So kind of like Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump. Uh, it just seemed really natural that I would enlist myself. But I, unlike my uh, family members, was more of an artist. And so my uncle, who was working assignments down at San Antonio for the Air Force, uh, he and I sat down and we talked about what my prospects could be in terms of occupation. He said I could be a videographer, a graphics designer, or a photographer. I wanted to do something in the drawing and painting, so graphics is what I was leaning toward. But I found out that they were doing more like digital, and that was really overwhelming. So being young and, uh, I guess, impatient, I picked whatever opened up first, and that was photography. Absolutely. And then, of course, photography became digital, and then you're doing a bunch of digital editing and stuff on Photoshop and whatnot. Yes. <clears throat> okay, great. Uh, Kathy? Um, I came by public affairs kind of as, as a roundabout way, by chance, actually. I joined the Army because I had no place else to go. I experienced homelessness as a teenager, and I joined the Army because it felt like a much safer option than the other options that were in front of me at the time. Then when, after I took the test and went to the MEP station in St. Louis, one of the things they offered me was print journalist, 46 Quebec, and that sounded way more exciting than some of the other things they offered me. So I said, let's do that. And then they said, oh no, it's a six year enlistment. And I said, I'm here because I have no place else to go. Six years is, sounds great to me. So um, here I am 34 years later and all I've done in my adult life is public affairs for the defense department. So that was a really lucky choice that they offered me that day. You were like, yes, please. I'd like that stability. Thank you. <laughs> all right, how about you, Glenn? Well, I had done four years previously and gotten out and, and, you know, at that time when I went back on active duty, my life was spiraling, spiraling out of control, um, with, uh, abusive drinking and other bad habits. So I needed to go back on active duty to gain some discipline and kind of steady my life. And since I wasn't a a civilian journalist, it was an easy fit to go back and become a 4312 uh, Marine Corps Public Affairs and, you know, and then on, on to DINFOS and, um, and then on to Camp Lejeune. So it was, you know, it was an easy fit for me. All right, great. Now, talk to me a little about your military experience in so much as what did you gain from your time in the military that helped you succeed as a civilian? And we'll go right back to you, Glenn. Uh, resilience, resilience, and just, uh, you know, belief, belief in, in knowing and, you know, finally getting my head right and knowing that, uh, I could accomplish, um, you know, I mean, becoming the editor at, 
at the Globe at Camp Lejeune was a great honor and the team, we won a couple major uh, Marine Corps Combat Correspondence Awards and some other awards. So, uh, you know, that was that was a, a great thing. And then once I got back into journalism, I had these three goals and to win a Pulitzer, to become a top editor and to teach journalism in college. And I was able to do all three, but it's a profound belief. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, how about you, Kathy? Um, I, I think the military, for the most part, I learned that people around you can be decent, that we can work for a greater good together. I found that awesome sense of community in the military. And once I was in a place where I was safe and secure, then at some point I realized that there are no limits. You know, just keep looking for ways to do good around you and, and good things tend to come your way. Absolutely. All right, Stacey? Well, that's a great question. I think I learned a lot because, I mean, being 17, I was in a very um, influential or no, no, to be uh, in a place to be influenced. And of course, everyone in my path, of course, during my career did that, whether they were in my unit or people I interf interfaced with while telling their stories. So I think fundamentally what I learned the most was being a good uh, leader, but also being a good follower and what exactly that means. Um, it taught me independence, confidence, and um, good time management. I think what was most important for me identity-wise and uh, occupationally was when I first joined the service, I really looked at my gender as being an inhibitor. And the more I embraced who I am or who I was in terms of everything in my identity, um, you know, Kathy talked about have, having some struggles before she enlisted. Um, and Glenn talked about struggling during his, um, during the course of his career. But so instead of tamping those down, embracing those parts of me, um, and, and, and my my own story and allowing that to color how I viewed the world and how I shared stories of others and how I was more empathetic to others and understanding. The military taught me a lot that way. That's great. That's great. You know, of course, we all have to transition out of the military at some point. Talk to me about your transition to civilian life and what drove you to continue to pursue uh, a, a civilian career within this career field. And we'll go ahead and start with uh, Kathy. You have an interesting story, so. It's uh, interesting, yes. I, I did 13 years active duty, and I realized, you know, people say to me all the time, why did you get out after 13 years? And, and it was not an easy decision for me. It was very hard for me to choose to, to leave the Army because I, I loved the Army, and I had found a home in the Army for the first time in my life, really a home and a family in the Army, so it was very hard for me to leave that. But I also had three daughters at home, and my husband was active duty as well. And the Army wanted to station us on opposite continents again. And at that time, I had missed literally years of my two older daughters' lives. And the thought of doing that again, you know, with, with now kind of the baby was just was too much. And I was extremely lucky that when I was considering leaving the Army, I worked in the Pentagon, and, and the folks around me offered me a job. 
So I did one of those things where I walked out the door in uniform one day and went came right back as a DOD, as a civilian the next. And uh, while it was really hard for me to make that decision at the time, and it was not a decision I wanted to make, it ended up being just obviously the best thing for my family and myself and my career. And I feel so lucky to continue serving uh, in the Defense Department and con continue serving the military community even to this day. So it, it was uh, it was interesting, but I'm really glad that I've had the opportunity to continue my affiliation with the military, even though I'm not in the military anymore. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's go to you, Stacey. Well, my transition was a little more unexpected. I had planned to do 20 years. <clears throat> I, I had major uh, dreams of being a chief and, and excelling in my career field, but unfortunately uh, injuries that I sustained while um, deployed to Iraq ultimately ended my career. And so I had to redefine who I was. And I had an identity crisis because again, I was so young when I had enlisted and you know, over the course of the 10 years in uniform, it had really shaped who I thought I was. And I thought I was everything to do with being a combat photographer. While uh, in that transition, the doctors were really focused on all the things that I couldn't do, couldn't lift anything over five pounds, which means no camera gear, couldn't stand for prolonged periods of time, which definitely means that I couldn't like do anything behind the camera. And, and I guess I really bought into everything that they were dishing out. And uh, it really took me taking my life back into my own hands. And it was a veteran who inspired me to start taking portraits and do all the things that they said I wouldn't be doing. And I did it. Um, but what I realized was, even though my transition was not something I had planned, uh, when one door closes, another opens. And this was an, an opening I had never uh, foreseen. And um, I think um, it really led to not just all 50 states photographing veterans in all 50 states, but telling, telling the stories of veterans. And I had to have my own military experience, my own combat experiences to better relate to the people whose stories I was now telling. And um, that even goes without saying, producing my television series after action on PBS. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Glenn. Well, my transition was um, after I, you know, did my second active duty tour. Um, you know, I got I got off active duty because I think I had gotten what I needed. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I was, you know, basically trouble in trouble in my own in my own activities and in my own mind. So that stint of uh, active duty really helped me kind of get myself, you know, somewhat back together. So and I was ready to uh, to get back out. Um, and I met. I met um, a person who worked on Capitol Hill and and we talked about some possibilities and I ended up uh, going to Capitol Hill as a press secretary and and then of course resuming my uh, my print career which you know which ended up being a total my media career of 40 years um, so uh, so yeah it was uh, you know the mil the second tour of military worked work for me, but then it was time for me to uh, get back to being a civilian journalist. There you go. All right. Well, again, you've all had illustrious careers both in and out of the military. Going back in time, if you could tell something to your younger self, uh, what would you tell them? Let's go with, uh, start with you, Glenn. 
Um, listen and learn. Listen and learn. Be very curious about everything. Um, something that is so far away from your your mindset or your or your your thinking or your daily activity or your daily lives. Uh, read about it. You know, read a post. Read it. I mean, watch a documentary. Just be curious because, as media professionals, um, curiosity is what uh, it what spurs us to do good work and to learn about as many situations as we can. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Kathy. My advice to my younger self would be: hang in there. That um, it, it gets better. Life gets better. And when it does get better, look for opportunities to help others. Yeah, great points. Stacy. I would probably tell myself that failure is a critical part of growth. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you're a failure personally. I would probably tell my younger self to um, be who I am in every sense of the word and allow that to shape what I see and what I document and what I share. Uh, I would also remind myself though I, I knew it at the time that I would remind myself to take every advantage of the environment around me because not everybody has access to such an, an interesting and compelling part of our community and and, uh, and our nation. Absolutely great points. You know on that same note now I want you to shift to our junior service members and I want you to focus on telling them what they should do to set themselves up for success, whether they decide to make a career in the military or in their post-military careers in the civilian service. What would you tell those junior service members? And let's go to Kathy. I would tell junior service members that success doesn't look the same for everybody, and you have to decide what success looks like for you. Uh, yet for me, success is feeling great about what I'm contributing in my various communities, whether that's my home and my, you know, my family, my volunteer work, and in my office and my organization that I work for, but uh, for some other people, it's going to be about titles, or it's going to be about promotions, or it's going to be about degrees. So the first thing you have to do is decide what success means to you and what success is going to look like for you, and then look for ways to help. Look, look for ways to to insert yourself into situations and uh, find ways to be helpful. It'll set you apart. There you go. Glenn? Uh, as a print journalist, and and I've always believed that, that writing is the core of all media, whether we're blogging or, or, you know, writing video scripts or writing captions for our photos. Uh, so my first thing would be learn to write well. You know, secondly, become a one-person show where you're able to, you know, shoot shoot photos, you know, uh, compose a video, write a blog, um, write a print story. Be able to, you know, you may not become an expert at all of it, but understand how all the pieces fit together. And, and again, the core begins with writing and... As I mentioned earlier, be very, very, very curious. Yeah, great points, great points. Stacy. Do not let your rank dictate your motivation. 
And by that, I mean, you may be an E1, E2, E3, E4, but that should not stop you from being self-motivated. You do not need to wait for um, a mid-tier NCO or a senior NCO to tell you what to do. There should be times, if you, if you, my Grammy used to say, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. Well, if I translate that into um, being a photographer. That means like if you're hanging around and you've got time on your hands, get your camera, get out there and make the best of it. Because again, this access, this um, target rich environment is not going to be around forever. And honestly, um, as Kathy said, you know, what does success look like to you? In my opinion, success is taking advantage of every minute of every day to always improve yourself, expand your knowledge, and don't be afraid to fail. Absolutely. Let's talk a moment about the concept of mentors, right? Uh, how have mentors helped you throughout your career? And do you have mentors now? And, and, and how important have mentors been in your, your career? Uh, let's go ahead and start with, uh, back to you, Stacy. Well, that's a great question too. I think mentors are an, an incredibly fundamental part of um, professional growth. I've been really, really lucky to have some extraordinary mentors. Some of the first that I ever met was actually at DIMFOS um, at the DOD workshop. Um, Ken Hackman, Chip Mowry, they were both um, prior military, Mary Calvert and Joe McNally, two um, ongoing mentors, Jimmy Colton. And then, you know, I cannot overstate the importance of finding peer mentorship. And I don't mean a sycophant who's always going to tell you that something looks great because that's not going to help you. You need to be able to hear construct criticism in order to grow and to know what your blind spots are. And so I had some really great peer mentorage um, at Combat Camera. Lisa Zunzanika is one of them, Bethan Caparoletti. I could go on, but um, for each and every one of you who are out there trying to decide what a good mentor looks like for you, it doesn't even have to be in your career field. You can look outside of that. Somebody who is going to offer sound, truthful, and constructive advice. Yeah, great points. Glenn? Uh, when I was at Camp Lejeune, Master Sergeant Phil Hartreff, I attached myself to him when I was the editor of the base paper, and uh, he guided me through uh, a lot of swamps. And uh, for, for that, I will be forever grateful. And as a civilian journalist, I've had, I've had you know, a bunch of of peer mentors, but also folks that that you know have guided me for a long, long time. Um, you know, major names in our business, you know, in the print journalism business that uh, latched onto me for some reason and helped guide me through you know a lot of situations, whether it's the daily grind of putting out a newspaper or covering stories or um, or climbing the ladder. I mean, there, I had a lot of help and, uh, for that, I am forever grateful. And so the mentor thing, and I've been mentoring since 1986 and, um, I've had mentored dozens of, dozens of journalists from all over the country and, um, you know, and I still do. And it's, um, it's an honor. You know, I see it as an honor and a privilege to, you know, be a mentor to uh, to so many people and help help guide them. But as 
as the ladies said earlier in our practice round, um, we learn a lot from the folks that we mentor. So, uh, you know, so it works both ways and that's the best possible outcome. Absolutely. All right, Kathy. Well, I think a real common theme that you're going to find among us is that we all feel very fortunate to have been mentored by some really wise and helpful and kind people along the way. And I think it's almost impossible to to get to this kind of a level and have achievements like this without having solid mentors along the way. So it's really important to learn from the people around you. I have been incredibly fortunate to have great mentors along the way. And some of that, even you know the most basic thing, I was an unstable teenager when I joined the army. And, and so my first mentors just kind of taught me to come to work on time all the time. And then you find different mentor, mentors that can offer different things in different stages of your career. Yeah. And one of my very first mentors um, taught me basically one of my keys to success across my career is throw them a bone. Where, you know, even if you can't give somebody exactly what they're looking for, uh, find a way to offer them something different, point them in another direction, find, find some common ground that you can work together toward a common goal on. And if you apply those kind of things in, in all your situations, it, you're, all, you're usually going to find a better way to come out on top. And, and that's something that you can't learn from a textbook that I've learned from mentors along the way. And hopefully I have had the opportunity to impart some of the same wisdom to others along the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great points, great points. So after your transition into the civilian world, obviously you sought out careers in the, in the public affairs realm. Talk to me about some of the difficulties or challenges you faced, maybe even some rude awakenings that you realized uh, after you sought that career in the civilian world. And well, let's go start with you, Stacey. <laughs> well, I think for me, uh, one of the rudest awakenings was having my ethics challenged, I suppose. Um, and I'm just gonna dive into that really quick because <laughs> You know, um, you and I, we went to Syracuse together. I, I sat through an ethics class, a couple of them actually. And I felt like I, as an operator, always operated like any other journalist into the same journalistic standards. But when I started looking around for a civilian journalism job, many editors kind of equated me to a glorified propagandist. Um, and it ha I had a really hard time accepting that. Um, I think over time, I realized where they were coming from, given that being on the inside and being that close, you have nothing but to tell the military story. And, you know, some may think you're doing it in the best of life, but I never, I, I always tried to be as honest and truthful with my photography as possible. Anyway, all that aside, that was a bit of a, a surprise. And then working alongside civilians, I think what I realized was what my expectation was going to be versus the reality. And I thought the expectation was they would operate with, just as we do with military values, um, you know, service before self, or, you know, how that translates to the civilian community, but yeah, not really. Things are a little bit slower. Um, there's a little less accountability. There's a lot more deflection. Um, but in the end, you do adapt and you have to be flexible and learn how it is on this side of the house. Just a little different. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's go to Glenn. I, I love Stacy's comments. Um, 
Well, I was on the other end as a senior editor at a bunch of newspapers. And yes, some military journalists came to me for jobs. And I hired, I think, of the five or six that I recall, I probably hired four of them hmm. um, because I understood I had been there and I understood the situation. And I knew that, you know, they could be just as good as, as you know, the folks sitting in sitting in the chairs before them. So, uh, so yes, but that is that it, but because I, I can fully admit that I know, I know editors that would not hire a military journalist. Yeah. I mean, I, I can be very frank with that. Oh, wow. Um, okay. you know, but that, that's very, very unfortunate. And the second side of that is yes, even for me, even though I was a civilian journalist first before my military public affairs um, situation, um, when I got back out, yes, it's not the same. You know, folks don't act, you know, I, I give an order or, or something and folks look at you cross-eyed and they don't react. And so, so yes, it's, it's different. Um, you know, even for somebody like me who had earlier civilian um, experience, but uh, but yeah, we adapt. We adapt to that, and um, you know, but it it's it's an issue. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, finally, Kathy. Well, for me, it was the hardest to leave the army because it was very hard for me to give up the sense of of security and safety that I had in the army. Because before I joined the army, I was not in a safe place. And after 13 years, you know, that you get used to that and that feels great. So I was really scared to leave the army. But um, I, some of the things I learned, um, somebody told me once, they're not your privates. You can't talk to them like they're your privates. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe somewhat, you know, when you're in the military environment, uh, people tend to be very direct and straightforward. And in, in some civilian places that that's, you don't have as much success with that. Uh, but I also learned that uh, you are much more the master of your own fate in outside the military. You know, if something's not working for you, you can find something else. And uh, so one of the important things to keep in mind is, is deciding when to jump and deciding when I'm going to work through this or it's time for me to walk away and do something different. So that that is, it, it takes some getting used to when you've been in a situation where somebody's telling you what's going to come next for, for many years. Absolutely, absolutely. So obviously only a very small fraction of a percentage of people will ever be part of the Hall of Fame program we have here at DINFO. So talk to me a little about how it felt to be selected to join this illustrious program. What did it feel like when you were you were notified that you were selected and then how does it feel to be a member of the Hall of Fame? And let's start with Glenn. Unexpected, unexpected, just a wonderful, a wonderful honor. Um, you know, when we were at the, at Dinfos for the induction, I looked on the <clears throat> wall and and you know, two two gentlemen who I knew as as civilian journalists, uh, army army members, uh, Clarence Page, a Pulitzer winner from Chicago Tribune, and Les Payne, um, Pulitzer winner from Newsday, and you know, to be 
in the same company with them and also uh, another fellow inductee, uh, Dale Dye, who was part of our part of our our ceremony. Uh, we never served together, but he he served as an example for us, you know, in the Camp Lejeune Public Affairs Office as just uh, how good we could be. And so uh, just honored to be in in that company. And, um, you know, you know, I want to go back next year and, and see our faces on the wall because it's just like, wow. Great. Well, we'll see you again next year then, I guess, at the next next, next year's ceremony. Uh, how about you, Kathy? I was stunned. There's just no other word for it. I was thoroughly stunned. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know that I had been nominated. And as I was looking at uh, the nomination that was submitted on my behalf by a group of, of friends and family members, I was thinking, okay, that's some that's some kind of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. But and then the more I think about it, the, it's I just feel very lucky to have been in those situations. Uh, I didn't feel so lucky at the time to be right. covering 9/11 from inside the Pentagon <laughs> on 9/11. Um, I didn't feel so lucky at the time to be. Uh, covering secretaries of defense around the world, 40 different countries in the global war on terror. But uh, I'm reminded all the time that it was just faith that put me there and gave me an opportunity to do those things. And the biggest overwhelming sense that I had, aside from my awe at my fellow inductees, because I'm such a huge fan of so many of them, is that uh, so many of my former coworkers and leaders and even people who have worked for me over the year uh, deserve it equally as much, if not more. So I, I just feel really, really lucky that that I was recognized like this. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Stacey? Well, uh, not to sound like a broken record, but I have total samesies here. Um, but I think, I think what's really, really important for Anybody who's tuning in and wondering, well, gosh, what do you have to do? Um, I mean, I mean, get a Pulitzer, obviously, or um, you know, and, and Kathy <laughs> will all. say it was the you Easy. know the right time, right place, or you know, I don't know if that's really what to say about 9/11, honestly. But I think what it comes down to is when you're doing something with passion and you're doing something with dedication, you're not working. And you're not doing it for accolades and awards. What you're doing it is, um, you know, for self-fulfillment and to, you know, get at, when you're curious and you're asking these questions, your your ultimate end goal is to answer the questions for yourself in life. And in so doing, maybe you're doing that to illuminate others, others' questions along the way. And for me, everything that I've ever done, um, maybe not when I was 17, but in my adult life and in my, you know, toward the end of my military career into my civilian career has always, always been to leave the world a better place than, than I walked into it. I don't think I've done that. I don't know if that's even possible, but the, to endeavor to, to do so has really led me to being here. So. Yeah, absolutely. Great points. Great points. 
You know, our audience loves to learn, right? This is a learning program, and they're always seeking out recommendations for resources or books or, or any sort of learning tools uh, that can help make them better and, and help them progress. So are there any recommendations for resources, tools, websites, books, or anything you'd like to, to extend to our members and those watching right now? And let's boomerang right back to Stacy. Okay, awesome. Well, for all you photographers out there and even videographers, Nikon USA has a really great website. And at the top, you'll see education on there. There are a bunch of videos, tutorials, and clinics in your locations. Um, but I want to remind everybody that you need to pursue education that works for you. So if you're not really interested in sitting in a classroom, then don't pursue workshops and clinics. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, if, you know, if you'd prefer to listen while you're in the car, then maybe a podcast. But anyway, NikonUSA.com, education. Also, um, the Eddie Adams Workshop is an annual tuition-free workshop. And Eddie, being a military veteran himself, has a special place in his heart for military journalists. So if you're a photojournalist and you want to try out the Eddie Adams Workshop, be sure to check that out. Uh, you can go to become a National Press Photographers Association men, mem, member, mm. and then you can seek out mentorship through NPPA mentorship too. So, uh, or you can get my book, A Photojournalist Field Guide. It's available on Amazon. Great, great. Okay, how about you, Glenn? Um, well, for all print journalists, you know, and all writers in general, the the Elements of Style by Strunk and White. It's it's probably one of the oldest um, publications about writing in, in American history, but it's something that we print journalists especially um, have alluded to for you know decades and decades. So I would I would ask all writers to uh, to look at that and all journalists, you know, as I mentioned before, should be good writers. You know, secondly, um, you know, as Stacy mentioned, there are all these organizations, uh, society, professional journalists, um, the ethnic organizations, National Association of Black Journalists, you know, Asian journalists, uh, Native American journalists, um, you know, gay and lesbian journalists, all of them have their own organizations and within them, there are training programs. So. I would, uh, you know, recommend that, uh, you know, that's a good way to learn, but not only learn, but also to make significant contacts for your career going forward. All right, great, thank you. And finally, Kathy. Well, I don't have anything specific, although I will tell you I'm such a geek that I keep an electronic version of the Associated Press Style Guide on the Kindle app on my cell phone, so it's always in my pocket and I can refer to it in a minute. But I'm a person who who tends not to, I don't like to wonder things. So if I'm wondering something, I'm seeking out to learn it. And we're lucky in that we live in a time where we have most of the knowledge of the, the known world in our pockets most of the yeah. time. That is also a double-edged sword in that you have to be judicious about where you're getting your information and make sure that you're using legitimate sources and such. But I would encourage people to be a lifelong learner, but that doesn't necessarily mean traditional learning. There's books, there's podcasts, there's there's workshops. Uh, so where there's a will, there's a way. I'm somebody who doesn't have uh, the entirety of my formal education was through the Defense Information School and the NCO Professional Development course. but 
I like to consider myself as a, a relatively learned person because I'm constantly seeking and, and trying to learn from non-traditional sources. That's great. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you all guests for taking time out to be on our show today. We really appreciate it. Before we say goodbye to you, though, is there anything else you'd like to add? Now let's uh, let's go with Stacy. Well, I I want to remind everybody again, once again, that you are the master of your clock and every minute on that clock and how you spend it. And so make the most out of every moment in your life, whether that's finding the work-life balance, um, going out there and telling a story that hasn't been told yet from your perspective. It may have been done before, but not in your voice. So let's hear your voice and what do you have to say? Um, and just remember that again, failure in trying something new isn't failure in yourself personally. So get out there, take risks, fall on your face a few times and, and just get back up, brush it off and try and try and try. Um, you are the master of your own success. So I wish you all very, uh, lots of luck. And for everybody who's overseas serving right now, stay safe. And we look forward to having you back home soon. That's awesome. Thank you. And by all means, please, everybody go check out After Action. It's on PBS and it's, uh, it's Stacy's show. It's in its second season. So it's a great show. Uh, let's go to Kathy. Yes. Yeah, so if you haven't watched season one, you can in November. Oh, yeah. So thank you. It's, 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 fr it. it's free on PBS. What is it? Yes, just go to, to PBS. You can also find it on Amazon. And we right now, because of Veterans Day coming up, they're, they're go, taking it behind the paywall and putting it forward for you for free. So go ahead and watch that after action season one. Season two will be dropping in the spring. So you want to make sure you're all caught up. Awesome. That's great. All right, Kathy. That's so awesome, Stacey. <laughs> that's really Especially really after cool. season ended, um, I, season I one like, ended on that cliffhanger. I might have to. <laughs> I, I would like to encourage people to look out for each other. There are a lot of ways to help. There's a lot of ways to make a difference in our society and in your various communities. For me, uh, that's my work through the Army Public Affairs Association and mentoring and encourage other, other Army Public Affairs professionals. And I rescue dogs, so adopt, don't shop. And uh, find what works for you. There's a lot of ways. And, and you'll feel better in society, be better off because of it. So thank great. you. All right, great. Glenn, you get the last word. Yes, thank you. As an executive coach, life coach, and mental health advocate and trainer, um, this is the quote that I use. If you don't create your own direction, others will help you stay lost. And I tell all my clients as well as colleagues, you know, that, that quote almost on a daily basis um, because as, you know, Stacy and Kathy have talked about we all have to chart our own path, you know, without naysayers, without drama. And so, uh, so for all the, everyone that's listening and for all the young public affairs folks, whether in the military or transitioning to civilian, um, chart your own path. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. All right, everybody. Well, that's our show for this month. Of course, I want to thank my guests for making time to be on the program today. Remember, Dinfos Live is also a podcast, so if you'd rather hear these episodes rather than watch them, you can find them on your podcatcher of choice. Just search Dinfos Live. Also, if you'd like to submit someone for the 2024 Dinfos Hall of Fame, know that nominations will open on April 30th. Well, 
Join us next month on November 29th at 2 p.m. Eastern when we'll be doing our first ever road show and visiting Joint Base Meyer Henderson Hall to talk to their PA chief about their unique mission. For everyone at DINFOS and the Defense Media Activity, I'm Major David J. Murphy, and we'll see you next month. Bye, everybody.